You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello there and welcome along. Beautiful of you to join me today. I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Two movies to tell you about today. Couldn't be more different. A beautiful slice of classic radio for you. A classic movie star guessing game. Some toe-tapping tunes to set you on your way. I mean, just about the only thing you're not getting today is a hearty meal. But we can fix that too. Oh, uh, waiter. Yes, sir? I'll have some sardines and coleslaw, I think. Yeah, that old family mealtime favourite. Some sliced tomatoes with French dressing. Yeah, and while you're there, I'll have some pig's feet and peanut butter. And a cold bottle of Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yes, sir. Finest beer, sir. Anyway. Okay, the beer part's all good, but I haven't worked up a thirst yet. Why don't you put me in the mood? You know, teacher says every time a bell rings... Uh, never mind. Nothing stirs my imagination like an incomprehensibly high-pitched percussive instrument. You are in San Francisco. Right. The cable cars are crowded. It smells like they are, yes. You, bristling with energy, decide to walk up that steep hill to your hotel. Yeah, that doesn't really sound very much like me, I'll be honest. What a climb. Finally you make it. Oh, I love the way you paint with words. Please continue. Tired. Hot. Ringing with perspiration. Ah, I think that you think you're talking to my dad. You enter the bar. A little blue sign catches your eye. Oh, brother. Ray, your ex machine. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Uh, yes, uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon is what I meant. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Finest beer served anywhere. Yes, during these hot July days, you're just one of millions of men all over America to whom that Pabst Blue Ribbon sign means welcome relief. Looks suspiciously like a Durex machine, I have to say. Or Pabst Blue Ribbon does something more than quench your thirst. It gives you taste. Blue Ribbon taste. The kind of taste you can't get anywhere else in the world except in that Pabst Blue Ribbon bottle. And fortunately, you can get that Blue Ribbon bottle all over the world. Yes, you hear it everywhere. In San Francisco, in St. Augustine, in Seattle, in San Antonio. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Finest beer served. Anywhere. Your taste will tell you why. Yes, a one-pound coin will buy you a pack of three. Yes, I think that's enough imagination for today. Let's give ourselves over to a true maestro of the senses, the man who brings unfathomable delight and joy to people the world over. Yes, over now to Mr. Keanu Reeves. Only joking, it's even better than that. It's the guy that all the guys want to be and all the girls want to be with. The walking Wikipedia of musical knowledge and all-round nicest bloke in the world, Mr. Rob Bowman. If you're looking for a fun album to play on a Sunday afternoon in your living room, something fun and breezy, up-tempo standards, this one is it. It's called Rosie Solves the Swing and Riddle. Songs are sung by Rosemary Clooney with arrangements, orchestrations, and conducted by Nelson Riddle, hence the title. 30 minutes of fun, and interestingly, when they made this album, Rosemary Clooney and Nelson Riddle were having a little fling, and I'm telling you, 
You can hear it in these songs. Here is the opening track from My Fair Lady, Get Me to the Church on Time. I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. Pull out the stopper. Let's have a whopper. Get me to the church on time. I gotta be there in the morning. Spruced up and looking in my prime. Boys, come and kiss me. Show how you miss me. Get me to the church on time. And if I'm dancing, roll up the floor. And if I'm whistling, me out the door. I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. Kick out the rumpus, but don't lose the compass. And get me to the church. Get me to the church. For Pete's sake, get me to the church. On time. That was a very swinging way to kick the show off. My thanks to you, Mr. Bowman, with bells on. Hey, guess what? February is already kicking off to a wonderful start as there's a new edition of The Dark Pages Out. Just to make things even better, it's a bumper edition, this time focusing on the noir films of 1947. This means Karen and the team are delving into such noir classics as Lourdes, Repeat Performance... Born to Kill, Secret Beyond the Door, Framed, The Unsuspected, many more. If 1947 is a year that stands out for you, it does for me, then you are not going to want to miss this amazing tribute. Head on over now to www.allthatnoir.com and they'll even give you a free copy. Must just quickly tell you all about a brand new mini-series that's begun over on the old Patreon, a secret history series devoted to female stories of the Golden Age. Its name is Queens of Cinema, and in each episode I'm exploring a fabulous female pioneer of cinema. If you want to grab that, just go on over and sign up at patreon.com slash secret. The first episode is out now. We'll test your wits now with a guessing game that'll put your senses to the test. Yes, play along with the What's My Line panel by pricking up your ears listening for the clues and let's see if you can tell who the hell is that hollywood legend all right panel as you know in the case of the mystery challenger one question at a time in turn moving clockwise and we'll begin with uh, miss newman thank you uh, are you in the entertainment industry yeah mr yeah. sir are you at present appearing in new york either in a show a movie or some nightclub or hotel act Nah. What? I didn't get the answer. Nah. No. Just a moment. We have to have a small conference. 
take a look. Okay. Miss Francis? Are you primarily known for your work in pictures? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Bustanoff? Now, let me get this straight. <laughs> but there's no picture running at the moment. Is that what I understood? Of our mystery guest. Of our mystery guest. Well, actually, here what we have a little problem, and That's I think what I was wondering. the best thing for me to put it down with is that uh, we're hung up on the first run basis. This is not to say a picture is not running. Oh, I see. You're a man. <laughs> I didn't hear the answer. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Miss yeah. yeah. Newman? Uh, everybody screamed. Are you a heartthrob type? A leading man type? I guess he is. <laughs> I think the audience has answered that for you. Yes, yes. Mr. Sir? Uh, have you ever played in a picture with Doris Day? Nah. One oh. down and nine to go, Miss Francis. Are you, uh, have you made many pictures in Europe? Yeah. Mr. Oystenhoff? You happen to have the same name as anybody on the panel. Same nah. name as anybody oh. on the panel? No. Two down and eight to go, Miss Newman. Um... Have you been in the movies longer than ten years? No. No. Three down and seven to go, Mr. Sir. Were you on the Broadway stage before you went to the movies? Yeah. Miss Francis? Are you one of the new cult of leading men? <laughs> I mean that in the nicest possible way. I mean, are you more uh, juvenile than you are leading man? You know, sort of... Yeah. Mr. Oystenhoff? How many we got left? Uh, seven. <clears throat> More juvenile than leading men? What? No, doesn't sound possible with that voice. He's an old juvenile. Uh, an old juvenile. Lolito. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh, my goodness. Um, oh, uh, um, have you appeared in European pictures in the very recent past? Yeah. Miss Newman? Do you have a picture that's going to open soon, within the next month or so? Yeah. You Ms. do. Mr. Sir? Yes. No. <laughs> Mr. Sir? Are you an American? Yeah. Miss Francis? Do you sing as well as act? Some people say so. Oh, I got it then. Who is it? We'll stop it there. Do you have a clue? We'll hold on to it for now and we'll fly on back later to see if you got it right. Back to Rob now, though, for another song arena before we dive into some movies. Rob, what you got? And then there's Peggy Lee, an incredible singer, American jazz singer, popular music. She was a composer and songwriter. She was an actress. She was what they call a real musician's musician. I also loved her songs that she wrote. Here's one of them, so fun, called I Love Being Here With You. I love the East, I love the West, and North or South, they're both the best. But I'll only go there as a guest, cause I love being here with you. I love the sea, I love the shore, I love the rocks. And what is more, with you there, they'd never be a bore. Cause I love being here with you. Singing 
Life is such a breezy game Love all kinds of weather Long as we're together I love to hear you say my name I like good wine And fine cuisine And candlelight I like the scene But baby, if you know what I mean I love My friend, we have loved you being here with us. That was Peggy Lee, delightful as ever, and hopefully I can rope Rob back in to bring us more musical treasures in the very near future. Now, though, it's movie time, and I have a stupendous selection for you today. First up, a pre-code shocker, and I do not use that term lightly. Every now and then, you catch an early Hollywood film, and it doesn't just take your breath away. It beats you to a pulp, grabs your breath with both hands, and drives away with it in a very fast car. Prepare to have your socks knocked off as we join Edward G. Robinson, Marion Marsh, Boris Karloff, and Aline McMahon for Five Star Final. This paper's been successful thus far because our policy has been, frankly, a sensational one. Now, Mr. Brannigan, I think you used the wrong word. My policy has always been to develop the human interest of life. Call it what you like, Mr. Hinchcliffe, but Randall has seen fit to change that policy. When there are cases every day as good as the Rhinelander or Browning cases, why are we printing cables from the League of Nations? That's right. We can't sell this paper unless we have something to sell. That's it, exactly. Randall's getting too swell for the chewing gum trade. What's the use of kidding ourselves, Mr. Hinchcliffe? We're not selling newspapers on Park Avenue. I think you're on the right track, Randall. I know I'm on the right track. Look at the stuff we're printing now. Love under the sea. Our readers eat too much fish to get romantic about them. Why can't we print stories about shop girls, models, servant girls? Something our readers know about. Exactly what I've had in mind. We are waist deep in a nest of vipers this time. The newsroom of the Evening Gazette, a real rag of a paper known for its sensational reporting built upon trampling the lives of the poor souls who make up the headlines. Nothing is off the table when it comes to the Evening Gazette. Reputations are wrecked, lives are destroyed, and fortunes overturned. 
in their quest for the most squalid stories in town. Listen, Unc, give them the girls and all that slop that Hinchy calls human interest. All this politics and tariff stuff is the bunk. Nobody reads it. Everybody thinks I'm trying to go highbrow, huh? Well, I hear some talk. Well, spread it around that I've just been taking a vacation. That's the stuff. And listen, boss, I got another swell idea. Another headache for me? No, a taxi contest. Race him in relays from the Bronx to the City Hall. Give the winners new cash. And yeah, kill a hundred people. All right, but listen, boss. If you do that, I guarantee you 40,000 more. The Gazette is run by managing editor Joe Randall played by Edward G. Robinson, who just lately has begun to feel the nagging of his conscience, especially when it comes to the latest story flung his way. The big bosses of the paper want him to dredge up the 20-year-old case of Nancy Voorhees, a girl who murdered her boss when he refused to marry her after getting her pregnant. How well do you recall that murder, Randall? I covered it for the old New York press. She shot a man named uh, Bill Matthews. He was called the Chocolate King. Well, uh, this story will certainly interest the new generation who never heard of the case. Mm. Didn't this Nancy Voorhees have a child or something after she was acquitted? I think there was some such uh, incident. That's where the moral lies. Now, I think we might get some minister to write a series of introductions for each installment. It would uh, lend it tone. Nancy was acquitted of the killing when the jury took pity on her pregnant state, but it's been 20 years now, and the Gazette want to open old wounds. The problem is that Nancy's baby's now all grown up. Jenny, played by Marion Marsh, has no idea about her mother's past, and Nancy and her husband Michael, played by H.B. Warner, have done all in their power to keep the deadly legacy from their daughter. Hello? Mr. Randall? Yeah, this is Mr. Randall. Oh, you know why I'm calling... Mr. Randall, I want you to stop this story. You don't know what it means. I'm not asking for myself. Please believe that. But you wouldn't punish an innocent person, would you? I don't follow you. Mr. Randall, my daughter is being married today. She doesn't know anything about this. If you print this story, it will ruin her life. Will you make this sacrifice? Will you, please? Well, Miss Voorhees, I would like to, There's but... There's uh... so many other things to print. Mr. Randall, do you hear what I'm saying? Miss Voorhees, I can't do anything about it. The story's published and the paper's on the street. That won't stop the Gazette, though. In their quest for a story, they'll happily obliterate the family and their happiness using the insidious talents of their team, including slimy undercover man Mr. Isopod, played by Boris Karloff. The only shred of conscience in the whole place belongs to Joe and his faithful secretary, Miss Taylor, played by Aline McMahon, who are sickened as the paper prepares to devour this family of victims. Sounds kind of like your standard tale of the press gone bad. You have quite a lot of these shady newspaper films in the 30s. Picture Snatcher is a great example of that. Five Star Final is kind of like putting all of those evil newspapers in one movie, smashing them together and imbuing them with the power of all of Voldemort's horcruxes. I can't actually go into what happens in the movie for fear that it might put you off watching it altogether. I will say that if you're not in a great way right now, this might be a film to avoid. It goes to some extraordinarily dark places. I don't say this lightly. This probably isn't a film to watch if you want a knockabout affair. It's terrifyingly dark and bleak and doesn't feature the relief of a happy ending. As a piece of drama, though, it's impossible to deny Five Star Final. It's an extraordinary movie, packed with powerhouse performances and a couple of sequences that shock and appall in equal measure. It's like being hit by a dump truck. 
I was wowed by it, not because I enjoyed it, but because it really rattled me. This was the debut movie for Aline McMahon, the great Aline. She's stupendous out of the gate. This was also made in the same year as Little Caesar and Frankenstein. So you have two new stars here, really, Boris Karloff and Edward G. Robinson, and it's simple to see why they rocketed off to stardom. It feels as though you're watching a couple of legends at work. I mean, you are, but you'd never know that they were new to starring roles. Apparently, William Randolph Hearst was utterly appalled by this movie. He took it as a direct insult to him and his empire. Surprise, surprise. Hearst was consistently appalled by newspaper depictions of the way his empire worked back in the day. What makes me laugh is that his way of gathering news was equally as torrid, if not more insidious, than the Evening Gazette. Look, I can't actually delve too deep into why this film will shake you by the neck. You just have to see it for yourself. But again, I warn you, if you're not in the mood for something as black as pitch, then maybe one to avoid for now. That's five star final from Warner Brothers. The dictionary definition of a punch to the gut. Let's slip away from all that sordidness for now and into a different type of darkness with 1935's Magnificent Obsession. Yes, that old warhorse. But sometimes you can't deny the power of a classic. Now, for those who don't know, this was directed by John Stahl, he of Leave Her to Heaven fame. This was a decade before, though, and definitely in a lighter vein. Magnificent Obsession stars Irene Dunn and Robert Taylor. And here is a clip. Nancy, you old darling. Joyce, my dear. Nancy, what's wrong? Has something happened? Why is everybody acting so funny? My dear, your father has had an accident. An accident? Where is he? He's here, but you mustn't go to him yet. Why not? Nancy, he isn't... You mean he's... We open at a small country hospital where tragedy has struck. The hospital's founder, the benevolent Dr. Wayne Hudson, has been involved in a terrible accident but the only piece of equipment that can save his life is already being used to save the worthless life of no-good society layabout and drunk Bobby Merrick, played by Robert Taylor. Is it my fault that my life was saved and your Dr. Hudson was drowned? Is it my fault that they were using their lung machine on me when they needed it for him? Did I borrow it? Did I ask to have my life saved? Of course not. It has nothing to do with you. I'm sorry you had to learn anything about it. It was most unfair. The staff has been under a strain. They loved and honored Dr. Hudson. We all did. I know. You're asking yourselves, what right I have to be alive and Dr. Hudson dead, isn't that so? Well, then, what right have you or anyone else to pass judgment on what kind of people have a right to live? That's true. If such an attitude has prevailed in this hospital, you have a right to be indignant. I'm not indignant about that. I'm indignant because I feel the same way. In the aftermath of the incident, Bobby attempts to make peace with the now-widowed Helen Hudson, played by Irene Dunn, but she's understandably a little bit cool towards the wastrel who lived at the cost of her husband's life. Bobby is determined to win her over, though, and begins to follow her in the hopes that he can make amends by showing her that he's really a nice guy beneath it all. But then a second tragedy strikes. I'm afraid we're running out of gasoline. Yes, sir, we are. What are you doing? I'm getting out. You're not out of gas, and I'm not in the mood for any more clowning. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Just what do you think you're going to do? Going to walk till somebody picks me up. Till I reach a telephone where I can call for a car. <laughs> you're behaving just like all those indignant, old-fashioned girls in the anecdotes. You know, the ones who walked home for virtue's sake. Well, I am indignant. Oh, no, you're not really, are you? 
Just barely indignant. At any rate, you're not bored, are you? Will you drive me home now? Oh, but look at that view out there. Why, it's simply Arcadian. You'd swear that those cows had studied art and just couldn't help composing a perfect landscape. Look out! Can't possibly spoil the whole plot for you again, so I'll break away there. If you love a good old weepy and you don't like to ask too many questions about the suspect medical conditions that seem to befall people in this movie, then Magnificent Obsession is one of the best there is. You'll more than likely be familiar with the very glossy 1954 version starring Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman, which for my money is a very humorless, chilly affair, even though it is resplendently colourful. I like the earthy 1935 version the best. I think Irene Dunn is brilliant in this. The gal could do no wrong in my eyes. Oops, spoiler. This was the movie that really catapulted Robert Taylor into stardom, and it's not difficult to see why. He's genuinely appealing in this, and somehow manages to cut through the swirling melodrama coming across as a really likeable character. In many ways, this is the perfect antidote to the darkness of Five Star Final as it at least bases its entire story around the power of hope and kindness, which is a good lesson to latch onto, no matter how many times it's been preached at you. It's a warm cuddle of a movie that does tip over into melodrama, but always knows just when to pull back. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend seeking out 1935's Magnificent Obsession. One of my all-time favourite radio adaptations is from the Screen Director's Playhouse, who created a sparkling version of Magnificent Obsession, roping in Irene Dunn to play her original role. It's a gorgeous, dreamy, totally hokey adaptation, and that's what I love about it so much. So, of course, we'll hear that today. This is the Screen Director's Playhouse, then, with Magnificent Obsession. And if you want to play a drinking game, then take a sip each time Irene Dunn says the word darkness. See you afterwards. The NBC Theater presents... Screen Directors Guild Assignment. Production, Magnificent Obsession. Director, John Stahl. Star, Irene Dunn. This is the Screen Directors Guild presentation of the unforgettable Lloyd C. Douglas novel, Magnificent Obsession, starring Irene Dunn in her original role. picture medium is often described as the most magnificent art form ever devised, for it is a combination of all the arts. One of the most critical of these is the new and dynamic art of the screen director, for it is he who must integrate and guide the forces which combine to make the film. Therefore, it is with pride that the NBC Theater presents one of the most celebrated exponents of the screen director's art, the president of the Screen Directors Guild, Mr. George Marshall. Thank you very much. I'm pinch-hitting tonight for John Stahl. John, as you know, directed Magnificent Obsession. And other such wonderful films as The Keys of the Kingdom, 
the foxes of Harrow, and the walls of Jericho. Magnificent Obsession is one of John's favorite pictures because of the appealingly simple manner in which it translates basic human values into film, telling of hatred turning into love and darkness into light. And speaking for myself, I know that you will enjoy Magnificent Obsession, starring Irene Dunn in her original role as Helen Hudson. very calm. The vortex, the very center of the whirlwind, is the stillest. There is tense, anxious action all around me, and I am the center of that tense activity, yet I am calm. All about me are the thin, brittle sounds of instruments being made ready, the whispers of the nurses, the low, efficient voices of my surgeons, and these surgeons, instruments, voices, the voice of the chief surgeon speaking to me, only faintly dimmed by the anesthetic. How do you feel? Are you all right? Are you all right, he asks tenderly, and I say, fine, all right. When do we start? We've started. I'll be a good girl now. I'm always a good girl, but I do wish you could hold my hand. In darkness, I await my great moment, the moment that will bring me light or leave me in lifelong darkness. But I am calm. Many things swim through my mind. The music of a small girl's voice. A wisp of music, bittersweet. And then, the sudden nightmare of a time long before Paris. I remember Brightwood, my husband's hospital on the shore of the lake, the deep, smooth, fatal lake, the quiet lake that killed my husband. And in my mind, I see again the wild, bereft eyes of Joyce Hudson, my husband's daughter, my stepdaughter, Joyce telling me how it all happened. It all comes back. It all comes back. Father had been in surgery all day. I, I suppose he shouldn't have gone in swimming, but he always did. He had a cramp. We, we finally brought him up from the bottom. But where was the respirator? The respirator was gone. Gone? It was over at the Merrick Boathouse. That, that young playboy Bobby Merrick nearly drowned. He was drunk and he nearly drowned. He developed pneumonia and they brought him here. Brought him here? Well, I, I never want to see him or meet him. Because all my life I shall know that because of him, my husband had to die. I shall always hate Bobby Merrick, loathe him, hate him. Helen, you've got to talk to Bobby Merrick. I won't. He won't listen to anyone. He has a fever of 103 and he refuses to stay in bed. There's nothing I can do. 
Helen, you're the head of this hospital now. You must talk to him. What have we here? Hmm? Nice. Mr. Merrick, you've been behaving very badly. Oh, shucks, honey, I can't help it if I'm the active type. I want to get out. Well, believe me, I'd be very happy to see you go. But it's our responsibility to take proper care of you. Now, look, you don't have to recite the Hippocratic Oath to me. I had three years of medical school myself. I wasn't bad either. But I was bored, so I quit. I'm not surprised. My husband always said that the mere possession of a medical degree didn't make a doctor. It takes humility, humanity, things that you're too selfish to understand. Now, wait a minute. Are you going to be the next one to tie into me because I happen to be drowning at the same time this Dr. Hudson was drowning? Is it my fault that this whistle-stop hospital had only one respirator? And anyhow, did I ask for it? A lot of people loved and honored Dr. Hudson. Sure. And they're all wondering why I should live and he had to die, huh? Yes. All right. I'm not worth much, but might as well face it. He's dead and I'm alive. We're both out of luck. Hey, when do we eat? I'll have a tray up in ten minutes. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, Mrs. Hudson. Mrs. Hudson? With good luck, we may be able to discharge you in a week. Dr. Wayne Hudson's wife? Yes. I didn't know. Now you know. I suppose you hate me. Yes, Mr. Merrick. Yes, I hate you. In the operating room, I feel no pain as the surgeons operate. I feel the dull pressure of their instruments somewhere about my head. The fine surgical lamps blaze for them, but although I am conscious, I am in total darkness. And in that darkness, I think back to the events that are having their climax here. Mosquito forceps. Let me remember. More suction, please. We discharged Bobby Merrick from the hospital, and I did not see him again for many weeks, nor did I wish to see him ever again. What happened then comes from Randolph, the stonecutter, across from the cemetery where my husband lay buried. One night in a thunderstorm, Randolph was awakened by a pounding at his door. Who should it be but Bobby Merrick, drenched, covered with mud, and of course, very, very drunk. A ladder. What can I do for you, sir? A ladder. Gotta have a ladder. A ladder, sir? A ladder, sir. Getting out of my car, I fell into a ditch. So now I'm in a ditch and can't get out without a ladder. Uh, come in. Why don't you stay here overnight? And in the morning, we'll find a ladder and help you climb out of that ditch. Hey. Hey, what are all those statues around here for? I'm a stonecutter. I make gravestones and such. I so? Who's that one over there? That's a bust of Dr. Wayne Hudson. You may have heard of him. Heard of him? He's haunting me. First they save my life with Dr. Hudson's lung machine, and then they take me to Dr. Hudson's hospital. And I meet a beautiful girl. Who is she? Dr. Hudson's wife. His widow. Haunting me, that's what. I tell you what. You get some rest and sleep it off. Haunting me. I'll make you breakfast in the morning, and then we'll get a ladder and uh, look for you. 
morning, Randolph. Oh, come in, Mrs. Hudson. I've finished the bust, and I'm ready to mount it on your husband's tombstone any time you say. Oh, thank you, Randolph. That's why I came down this morning. I... Oh. Uh, Mrs. Hudson, uh, Mr. Robert Merrick. We've met. Uh, my uh, car stalled last night with a wet carburetor. Randolph here was good enough to put me up overnight. Randolph, I'm ready to go to my husband's grave whenever you're ready. Ready right now. I'll get my coat and my boots. Rather muddy this morning. Yeah, I'd, I'd like a word with you, Mrs. Hudson, when you get back, if you don't mind. I mind very much. Well, then I'd like a word with you anyhow. You know, it's very kind of you to offer to drive me back to... Um, you know, wherever my car happens to be. I meant only to be civil, not kind. Yeah, I had an interesting talk this morning with Randolph. He, uh, he thought very highly of Dr. Hudson. Dr. Wayne Hudson inspired everyone he met. Mm, he did have a remarkable influence over people, I suppose. My husband understood the one important law of survival. He knew that man could continue to deserve life only so long as he lived to serve others. He believed in the power of unselfishness, and in power from unselfishness. Yeah, a remarkable theory. It's a working living theory. My husband discovered that Randolph had a talent for something better than carving gravestones, but he encouraged him to continue making memorials for the beloved dead. It wasn't art at first, but because it was in the service of plain, stricken, unhappy people, it became great, as my husband knew it must. That's very interesting. Oh, I know. You, to your worldly kind, there's no value in human sympathy, no virtue in unselfishness. You know, you're beautiful. Mr. Merrick, I think you'd better get out here. Well, I've hardly talked to you. There's nothing further to say. I haven't had a fair chance to express myself in the unfortunate incident about your husband. Incident? A thousand people have lost their hope of happiness and even life itself, and you call it an incident. Well, I only meant to try to... Get out of this car. Oh, why don't you melt? Get out. Oh, please, look at that beautiful scene. Will you leave this car? What a view. It's Arcadian. It's classic. All right, then I'll get out. Here, here, wait. No, let go of my wrist. Now, listen to uh, me. Let go, I tell you. Let, let go. Oh, come on back. After all, I would... Look out! Look out for that car! Joyce? Joyce, tell me. I'll tell you. Will, will she live? She'll live. For the rest of her life, Helen will be blind. Blind? For as long as she lives. First my father, then Helen. Blind. Oh, why do people like you have to go on living? Why? Why? On behalf of the American Heart Association, the NBC Theater is presenting the Screen Directors Guild production of Magnificent Obsession, starring Irene Dunn as Helen Hudson, with Willard Waterman as Robert Merrick.
Normal saline solution here, please. Yes, Doctor. I lie in darkness while the surgeons work about me, trying to turn the darkness into light for me again. I know I'm safe with them, safe and calm, and I think mistily of the warm days in the park, feeling the warmth of the sunshine that I could not see. I think of the little girl who used to meet me in the park to help me with my braille lessons, for I was learning to read with my fingertips to live in the darkness. When Jenny Wren was young, so neatly as she dressed and so sweetly as she sung. That doesn't even make sense to me. But it's your turn. <laughs> My dearest Jenny Wren, if you will but be mine, you shall dine on cherry pie. Cherry pie. <laughs> and drink nice Current wine. I'll dress you like a... Like a... I'm stuck. Goldfish. Oh, no, that can't be right, can it? Goldfish? Goldfinch. Oh. It's a kind of a bird. Hello there. <laughs> Hello. Susan, I thought we were alone. Oh, him? here every day. Let's read some more. No, I'd, I'd rather not today. Tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow. Well, okay. Take care of yourself. All right. I'll be seeing you, Susan. Bye, mister. Yeah, so long, dear. I didn't know anyone was near us. Won't you let me help you with your reading? No, I'd be embarrassed learning my ABCs with a grown-up. Oh, before long, you'll be reading the classics in Braille. I have a friend who collects them. I'd like to bring them to you from time to time. Oh, thank you, but I'd better learn my mother goose first. Are you interested in Braille? Yes, very much. You a doctor? Well, I just took my degree. Oh, how nice. What's your name? Robert. Oh, Dr. Robert. I'm Helen Hudson. Well, now, I'd better hurry home. Uh, I'll walk home with no, you. It'll be out of your way. No, no, it isn't far. How do you know? Well, I... I've watched you every day. Oh. May I? Well, yes, thank you. Tell me something. Sure, anything. Have you ever been connected with Brightwood Hospital? Brightwood? Why? Your voice just seemed familiar, that's all. Day after day, he was there waiting for me, reading to me, as I learned to read with my fingertips. Day after day, he walked with me as far as my corner and no further. He never accepted my invitation to come in the house for a moment, never. Then one day, it rained furiously, and I didn't go out to our bench in the park. He telephoned me, and I was glad, for I had great news for him. But again, he wouldn't come over until I happened to mention that my stepdaughter, Joyce, was not at home. Then he consented to visit me. Only then. Well, I, I had to come over when you hinted at this mysterious great news. Now, what is it? Dr. Robert, I'm going to Paris. Four famous doctors have agreed to consult over my case. I suppose they mean it as a tribute to my husband, don't you? Yes, I dare say. Well, then I, 
I won't be seeing you for a while. No, but when I come back, perhaps I'll be seeing you. Perhaps. Oh, Helen. Oh, back so soon, Joyce. Oh, it began to rain so hard, I just gave up the whole idea for... Oh. Oh, Joyce Hudson, this is Dr. Robert. You've heard me speak about him. Oh, yes. Well, I was just about to go, Miss... Uh... Let me go to the door with Dr. Robert. Oh, thank you. Wish me luck. Oh, I do. From the bottom of my heart, Helen. Thank you. Goodbye. Bon voyage, darling. Ready, Joyce? I'll write to you, Dr. Robert. Goodbye. Now, what is this, Bobby Merrick? Don't use that name outside her door. What's your game, Mr. Merrick? Things have changed, Joyce. I've changed. She hates Robert Merrick with all her soul. But she loves a voice named Dr. Robert. What's going to happen when she opens her eyes and sees you? Perhaps she won't open her eyes. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Joyce. Joyce, I arranged for those specialists in Paris. I did. That's even worse. Helen would rather be blind than owe her sight to, to Bobby Merrick. Paris, Paris and hope. Paris and disillusion. Four great doctors looked into my eyes, examined x-rays, tested, asked questions, gave up. All the next day and into the early evening, I sat at the window of our hotel, hearing the voice of the city, listening to life and laughter in the streets, feeling so much and seeing nothing, and never hoping to see. Yes, come in, please. Joyce? Is that you, Joyce? Helen. Oh. I had to come to you, Helen. Dr. Robert, you came all this distance to... Oh, give me your hand. Let me see if you're really... If you're really here. Oh, yes. Yes. Are you so glad? Glad? Oh. <laughs> Dr. Robert, I'm not going to see, but... It's quite all right now, really. I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm almost happier than I've ever been. Isn't it silly? Isn't it silly? No, it isn't silly. And you are going to see. They say no. You're going to see the world, Helen, through my eyes. And we're going to start with Paris. I'm going to show you Paris. And I'm going to show Paris you. <laughs> All day, day after day, we saw Paris. Paris from the omnibus, the tower, the cathedral. Paris in the dawn, Paris in the murmuring dusk. Paris laughed and made the sounds of bells and violins. Paris glittered and sparkled and shone only as it shines for such as walk in darkness with a lover at her side. Then one evening, on the heights of Montmartre, the song of the city came up to us where we sat hand in hand on an ancient stone bench. I sat in darkness, my hand in his, and I was happy. Helen, you're crying. I know. Oh, 
I'm so happy, darling. So very happy. Helen, could you ever again feel rancor or ill will for anyone? Anyone at all? Never again for anyone, dearest. I want you to be very sure, Helen. I am sure, Robert. You called me Robert? Yes, darling. You know, then. I've known forever so long. That I was Robert Merrick, the man who... Who... The man I love. Helen. Oh, Helen, my dearest. Please, Robert, please don't be humble. We're going to be married, Helen. A blind woman for your wife. People would be sorry for you. Oh, no, I couldn't stand that. Helen, I came to bring you home as my wife. I'm going to do what I set out to do. Oh, Robert, darling. I... I... Let me answer you in the morning. All right. In the morning, Helen. Remember. Take me home, Robert. It's like a dream. A beautiful, beautiful dream. In the morning, Joyce and I left Paris. It was the only thing to do. For six long years, I did not see Robert again. I heard that he was abroad working, studying, and then one day I received a note from him. Joyce read it to me, only a few words. Dearest, I am a man possessed and obsessed, but I am not mad, only in love. Wait for me, I'm on my way. Robert Merrick, M.D. I feel nothing as I lie on the operating table, only the sure elation of my love and of my trust in the man who works in darkness calling for instruments. For Robert is with me, a Robert possessed, a Robert inspired, full of the medical wisdom of his years of study and understanding and love. Once he held aside the veil of darkness and I saw Paris, and he can brush the shadows from my eyes forever, if anyone can. For his is the power and the glory of those who live unselfishly for their fellow men. see light. Good. Each day will be brighter until one day soon. All the shadows will be washed away. Robert. Robert. Darling, I... you mustn't get excited. All right, Robert. Can I get excited tomorrow?
And that was Irene Dunn in the Screen Director's Playhouse version of Magnificent Obsession. Just wonderful. So overblown. Do remember to check the 1935 movie out. There is so much more to the plot, and it's a beautiful way to spend your time. Well, let's take a trip over to see if you guessed who the hell that Hollywood legend was. Do you sing as well as act? Some people say so. Oh, I got it then. Who is it? Uh, Tony Perkins? Yes! <laughs> yes, it was everyone's favorite psycho, Anthony Perkins. Did you get it? You're an ingenious bunch, I'm sure you did. Just time to remind you that the new Secret History of Hollywood series, Queens of Cinema, is out now at Patreon. Go on over and listen to part one now. Carry part two preview coming to patrons very soon. And while you're there, grab a handful more of the almost 100 bonus episodes of this show. Plus, all the original Secret History series are there now, ready for you. Tons to enjoy. All you have to do is go to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret or click the link in the show notes of this episode. That is it from me for this edition of Attaboy Clarence. Until we speak again, dearest friends, take stupendous care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.